My name is Pastor Matt Hawkins, and I am here to kick off the first leg of this amazing tag team sermon, this wonderful message that we're going to deliver in Nehemiah chapter 6 is where we will kick things off. But before we read scripture, I would like to tell a brief story. When I was a kid, just getting started as a Jesus follower, I absolutely hated this constant battle in my mind between the sovereignty of God and my belief that God created everything. He was in control of everything. He was in charge of everything. And then this fallen, messed up, crazy world. I thought that sovereignty meant that everything was going to be awesome, that everything was going to be perfect, that there would, there would be this magic pixie stick that, that's, that's just blown, you know, everywhere and just, just spread everywhere. And there would be just awesomeness constantly. And there would be nice people constantly. And even the mean people, I would be able to just float over them because I was saved now. <laughs> and, and, and I had a challenge. I mean, for, for a long time, and even still today, I have a challenge with God being in control of everything, but me still being here in a fallen world. In college, in, in Christian college, my, my Jesus guy professor said, it's this notion of the already, but not yet. You're, you're already saved, you're already whole, you're already one with God, but you're still here on earth and it's still jacked up, still messed up. You're on this journey, but you're in the middle of a bunch of mess. Well, I, I've, I've equated that in, in many ways to my, my horrible time with roller coasters. So some sick twisted kid told me when I was like seven or eight, I don't remember how old I was. They told me, he told me that this would be fun. As we're approaching this roller coaster, he says to me, this is going to be fun. And so in my mind, what am I thinking? Fun. I'm thinking that this is going to be amazing. This is going to be an awesome time. This is going to, it's going to be like butterflies and I'm just going to just, it's just going to be wonderful. And so I get on the roller coaster and there's just this up and down and up and down and twist and turn. And my stomach starts to tighten up. My head starts to hurt because this is like old school roller coasters. My head is bouncing between this thing that, that they, this contraption that they've put on my shoulders. I feel like I'm in jail, but it's like a moving jail. And I can't get off because I'm definitely going to die. And, 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 and I don't know what's coming. And I hate not knowing what's, what's, what's coming next. Like, it's terrible. And so after the roller coaster, there's, there's a bunch of pictures up there. And you can see me and everybody else with this tense face. Like, we don't know what we just got ourselves into. For that reason, I hate roller coasters. And then when somebody finally told me, 10, 12, 13, that life is like a roller coaster, I got even more depressed because I'm like, exactly. That's how I feel about life right now. There's this unknowing, inconsistent up and down. And in this text, Nehemiah chapter six, it clearly shows us this notion of roller coasters. Actually throughout the entire story, there's these ups and downs. And in your life, in my life, 
if you're honest, there are a bunch of ups and there are a bunch of downs. I love, though, how Nehemiah kind of navigates through these major ups and downs. And for my little portion here, I'm just going to talk about the downs. There are three major pieces of opposition in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 11. The first you will see in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3, it says, And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner, in the same way Samballot for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. Now, just to catch you up, at this point, Nehemiah and all of God's people, they are hard at work. They are focused. They are not distracted. And all of a sudden, the haters of the group or Sam Ballard or Tobiah, they start sending messages. If it was 2017, it would be text messages or emails. They were constantly sending or they were calling him. They were constantly sending messages trying to get him to no longer focus focus on the task at hand, but to have dialogue with them. Sambala, Tobiah, they're starting to see that he is not only making progress, but he's almost done. This is a problem, people. This is a problem. And newsflash, in your life, as you are growing, as you are progressing, as you are becoming more and more successful, as you're getting things together, as you're working for God, as you're connected to something bigger than yourself, there will always be somebody or something that presents itself to distract you. <sighs> always. In this text, it's not necessarily talking about the first part of the definition. If you uh, look up what distraction means, some people might say that it means that you can no longer focus on the task at hand because something has come to take your attention away. It's kind of like texting and driving. You should be focused on the road, but you just got to send that last message. It's not really talking about that kind of distraction. It's actually uh, talking about the, the one that is, is even more challenging. The one that nags at you. That thing or that person or that experience or that situation that you just can't shake. That message that just keeps coming. That, that, that call out that just keeps coming. Somebody or something just continues to nag and to agitate you. Have you ever had something stuck in your shoe? You ever had a coworker who just didn't get it? Have you ever had a fellow classmate that was so annoying you tried to avoid that particular individual? Have you ever had a situation or an experience that, that caused you to just uh, get so tense, like Matthew on a roller coaster? Like you just don't know what's coming next because they are doing everything they can to take your mind away. Well, Nehemiah in this text is experiencing these haters or these opposers or these men that's trying to get him to stop. Newsflash, spoiler alert, the, the distraction or, or, or the opposition is trying to stop you. This isn't 
This isn't to be your friend. This isn't an effort to talk to you and for you guys to get to know each other and hang out and have fun. Like there's a real enemy out there that comes to steal, to kill and destroy. That, that, that means it doesn't end well for you. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not something that, that you can smile about or get excited about. Distraction in, in this text was so he could stop. What's the distraction in your life right now? What's the thing that's trying to get you to look at your little tiny do- device of life and, and focus on that instead of the task at hand? What's that thing uh, that, that's agitating you? The little rock in your shoe, or, or, or maybe it's a, a sickness, or maybe it's a relationship, whatever it is. The question on the table is, how do you handle this? Second thing that we see here in chapter 6, Nehemiah not only gets distracted, or, or not gets distracted, but he gets tempted to be distracted, is secondly, is there's slander in the text. Not only do they try to distract Nehemiah, but they try to fabricate a whole story and accuse him of doing something that he didn't do. It's right here. I'm not making it up. Nehemiah chapter six. If you read verse five, it says, in the same way, Samballot for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. Another way to say that line, it's like modern day news. Like, hey, <laughs> hey, Nehemiah, there's this report out there. There's news out there. And this is the word on the street. This is what they are saying. Just so you know, this is what's out there. Quick story. When I, when I, when I was a kid, I got to confess, this is my confession time. I, I got to confess, I was a part of slander when I was a kid. Can you imagine? A little elementary kid, I was a part of Slender. There was this girl that I liked. Her name was Lisa Johnson. I know because I really liked her, okay? (laughs) Her name was Lisa Johnson, and Lisa Johnson was beautiful. She was the best-looking girl in the school. I was lightweight, a little elementary stalker, okay? I tried to, you know, don't record that. I tried to find out where she was all the time. You know, you know, where did she play? You know, I tried to like the same things that she liked, et cetera, et cetera. It was weird. It was awkward. I regret it. Okay. <laughs> the problem with my little, you know, little romantic mindset around all things Lisa Johnson was she was dating somebody already. Yes, they date in elementary, imagine that. She was dating somebody. And so there was no way that I could be with her because she really liked this guy. So what did I do? I engaged in slander, ladies and gentlemen. Every time I was around Lisa, I wouldn't tell her directly because that's not strategic. I tried to defame him. I tried to say that he was mean. I tried to say that he stole things. I tried to do everything I possibly could to change her mind about him. I don't even know his name. I didn't even want to know his name. He was just the enemy. Okay. All right. Don't judge me. I know some of you guys have done the same thing probably this week. Okay. (laughs) You're laughing too much. Okay. (laughs) So in this text though, 
<laughs> like I was looking to slander. In this text, they are trying to say negative things about the character, the intention of Nehemiah. I'll read it. It says, it is written, it is reported, the nations, Geshem also, it says, you are trying to become king. You're trying to rebel against this establishment. You're trying to rebel against those that are in power. You're not just trying to, to protect the people and, and, and build your own people up. You're actually trying to take over. I love what Nehemiah says. He's, he basically says, you're lying. <laughs> That's not true. I am not up to what you're saying that I'm up to. Newsflash, people, when you are doing something of substance, when you're moving forward in life, when you're doing God's work, don't think that there are going to be daisies everywhere and fairy dust. And it's just going to, everything's just magically just going to work out. Again, there's a real enemy. And in this text, we see that Nehemiah is being put to the test and his name is on the line. He's not only attacking his resolve or his, or his resolution as, as, as someone who is being distracted or, or, or being tempted to be distracted, but here in terms of being slandered, they're trying to attack his reputation. And people, if, if you're doing something for God, even if you're not a Jesus follower, if, if you're not convinced about this whole Jesus thing, okay, or this whole Jesus movement, even if you're a part of some company and you, you've never even met Jesus, no matter what you're doing in life, if you're trying to make moves to go forward, there will be opposition. There will be people that try to attack your reputation. If they can't distract you, they're going to try to attack who you are. They're going to try to change the minds of people so they can see you differently. And then thirdly, not only is there distraction, not only is there slander in order to ruin his reputation to get him to stop, but there's also this thing called intimidation. If I can't distract you, the enemy says, if, if I can't mess up your reputation by putting out lies to ruin what other people think about you so you can stop, I'm just going to try to make you so afraid and so intimidated that you are paralyzed, that you don't want to move. Says in Nehemiah 6, Nehemiah 6, verse 9, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work. The goal of the haters, of the opposition, was to make him and the people of God so afraid that they would stop working. What is in your life right now that is trying to position itself to cause you to be so afraid and so fearful and so small and so inferior that you don't want to move? And here's, here's a better question. How in the world can I get anything done if I'm constantly tempted with distraction? I'm constantly being presented with other options. 
if, if there's this force out there that is trying to ruin my reputation. And there's this fear. There's this fear in not only in, in my head, but even out there that's, that's trying to overtake me. This, this force that's trying to intimidate me. How can we complete the work of God with so much opposition? I believe Pastor Caleb has the answer. So if God has called you to a certain task, a certain work, a certain decision, a certain mission, which if you follow after Jesus, he has... And for many of us, we are in the process of discovering what that is, or we're trying to pursue it. And there are also many of us who are trying to pursue the call of God in our life. We face opposition. And Nehemiah, his examples of how he responds to that opposition, that distraction, that slander, that intimidation, his examples are not encouraging to me. They're crushing. Because Nehemiah does it so well. In the face of distraction, Nehemiah says, and this is a direct quote, I ain't got no time for that. (laughs) Says it, so you can look it up. Says, I ain't got no time for those distractions. I'm doing the work that God called me to do. In the face of slander, Nehemiah basically says, you're not my identity. What you think of me, ultimately, God is my judge. And so I'm going to give that up to the Lord. And he just, he says, God, give me strength. And then he just keeps working. And in the face of intimidation, his life even being threatened, he says, who am I to run away from this? God, give me strength. All three times he faces these things, distraction, slander, intimidation, and every time he knocks it out of the park. That's crushing because I don't. Every time I feel distracted, I, half the time, I just, I'm what? I just go for it, right? Facebook is quiet. That's the sound of conviction. Because you know that you're like, you know, I'm doing work right now. Like, I got to get this, you know, TPS report turned into my boss. But I'd really, I mean, in the last five minutes, has something happened? I, I must discover this. And then it's another Kermit the Frog drinking tea thing. And you're like, oh, that was a good use of my time. I mean, what are we doing? Right? Every time I feel distraction, I just, I mean, my temptation is just get distracted. And when slander's coming at me, you know what I think about it too? You know, I'm arguing with the person and they're not even in the room. Every time I'm driving in the car by myself, I'm arguing with the person who's thinking less of me instead of focusing on the work that the Lord has given me to do. And finally, when it comes to intimidation, I haven't been, had my life threatened yet. It's probably coming down the pike. I don't know. But I've certainly felt threatened that we're going to lose funding if we do something or we're going to lose people if we do something. If I make this decision, this thing, you know, that negatively impact my family, maybe I'll lose my job if I fall after this. So I, I find Nehemiah's example to be crushing. But I am glad that Nehemiah doesn't point to himself and say, follow me. Rather, Nehemiah, by his example and by the account that we have of Nehemiah, points to Jesus. See, Nehemiah is dead, and he can't help you. His rotting bones will provide you with no comfort. But Easter is legitimate. Christ is raised, and he is the one who gives us the mission and calls us to follow after him, and then says, I'm going to give you the strength and the power to do this. 
And so I don't look at Nehemiah and say, what a good moral story for me to follow after. I look at Nehemiah and say, I'm in desperate need of a savior and a power source to live faithfully towards God's calling in my life. And Jesus says, yeah, I'm that. I'm the savior and the power source. And so what we're gonna do now, just in these last few minutes together, is I'm gonna go through distraction, slander, and intimidation. Look at how Nehemiah uh, responded to those things and then remind us of our savior the one to whom Nehemiah points. Here we go. Number one, distraction. Nehemiah's distraction. Pastor Matt pointed out that there were people saying, come meet with us, come meet with us. And Nehemiah uh, basically says, and I'll just paraphrase, uh, I ain't got no time for that. Look at verse uh, three, chapter six. I am, uh, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop? Will I leave it and come down to you? There are those of us who are following uh, after God's call in our life. We're trying to do what we believe God has called us to do, whether that's live faithfully in a certain direction or make the right decision here or put our hands to work in a certain field. And we are faced with distractions. You and I are in a community or in a culture that does not value time as we should. We don't value time like we should. We, we oftentimes value money more than time. Uh, let me give you an example. If you had a stack of $100 bills sitting on, I don't know, like your desk or something, and you left and you came back, and like 10 of those $100 bills were gone, what would be your first priority for the day? Show me the money. You'd be looking for your money, right? Why? Because you care about money, because it's a valuable asset. How about if somebody gave you a stack of hundos and said, I want you to invest this? How do you treat that responsibility? You treat it seriously, don't you? You're like, man, that's a lot of money. That's really important. There's a lot of value here. And if you gave a stack of hundos to somebody else, your expectation would be what? You gave it to somebody to invest. Your expectation would be that they would treat it with what? respect and hold it to the value with which it has, that it would be treated as valuable and they would treat it respect. Now, do you apply those same principles to your time? Every time you give time to something, you're taking it away from something else. Uh, real quick, uh, money is replenishable. You can make more money. You cannot make more time. The date is set and there's a day that God will basically say, if you want the pastoral response, come home to me. If you want the Caleb response, I'm all done with this fool. Boom. <laughs> I don't know what he says. I don't know. I don't know if he says, come home to me. Or I mean, at funerals we say, oh, he's gone home. But sometimes I just think, hey, God took him out. I mean, you know, that's, that's over. Okay, so one of those two, like, and guess what? That's like for everybody. It's all gonna happen. And that date is set. And every moment we have between now and then is slowly diminishing. And every time we spend one of those hours on something, we are intentionally or unintentionally choosing to not invest it in another thing. Do you see? Now, if God, like you gave that stack of $100 bills to somebody to invest. If God is giving you the time, which is unreplenishable resource, there's a set number, and you and I treat it with disrespect and no value, we will waste the time. Wasting my time should be more powerful of a statement than wasting my money. When we waste our time, 
It should cause us to be more concerned about the nature of things and ourselves than if we waste our money. We value oftentimes in this culture money over time, and yet God shows us that our time is not replenishable resource. Uh, Louis Giglio, who's a Christian leader, says this, whenever you say yes to anything, so you have all these options, and many of them are distractions, and there's God's call in your life. Anytime you say yes to anything, right? It could be a good thing, but it might not be what God's calling you to do. Anytime you say yes to anything, there is less of you for something else. Anytime you say yes to anything, you, you approach with an option, you say yes to the option. When, the minute you say yes, you spend that $100 bill, you put down that time, therefore there's less of you for something else. And so this is what Giglio says. Make sure your yes is worth the less. Every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to other things. Every time you say yes and devote time and talent and resource, every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to other things, and therefore, make sure that the yes is worth the less. Value your time. God has given it to you, and you are called to steward it well. There are many of us who we work for hours or days coming up with budgets for our finances, but we will not apply one shred of that same uh, uh, wisdom to our time. Are you wasting the time that God has given to you by being distracted and not answering the call that he's placed in your life? Are you allowing distractions to rob the time? Jesus is risen from the grave. He has called us to a mission, and that ought to strengthen and firm our resolve. Second, Nehemiah faces slander. You see it in verses 8 and 9. I'll read it. <clears throat> then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah shows us. He answers the, tr- the, the lie with truth. He says, you're making that up. You're throwing shade. You're being silly. You're just trying to tear me down. You're making that up. Now notice what Nehemiah doesn't do. He confronts the lie with truth, but he doesn't like try to destroy his enemies. He says this, Lord, strengthen my hand for the work. I'm going back to the work. One of the ways that slander can quickly become a distraction is we become so consumed with how other people might think of us that we leave the work behind in order to try to rebuild our reputation or at least protect our reputation from what others might think of us, right? We draft that email, we draft that letter, we spend time pounding, uh, making phone calls, pounding pavement, meeting with people, and the, the slander can easily become a distraction. But if it's true that the king and creator of the universe is risen from the grave, conquering over Satan, sin, and death, and that he is my king, he is my Lord, and he is my creator, then all of my dignity, worth, and value are found in Jesus, not in what other people think of me. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 11. This is Jesus now. Check this out. He says this. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. When you and I get to the work of the Lord, you can pretty much guarantee that there's going to be some slander thrown because there is an enemy that Matt mentioned, and that enemy does not want good to come out of the Lord's church. He does not want God's people to be faithful to God. And so there's slander that comes in. 
Jesus says that that's gonna happen. They're gonna accuse you falsely on my account. And Nehemiah doesn't go after them. He doesn't go to attack them. He simply says this. You saw it in the end of verse nine. He just says, God, give me the strength. When the slander is coming at you, the prayer is, God, give me the strength. God, give me the strength. Refocus my mind, refocus my heart, allow me to see people as you see them, and focus me, give me the strength to do what it is that you're calling me to do. Anyone working effectively to accomplish a godly call, anyone working effectively to accomplish a godly call will, I believe, will experience criticism. If you like football, and if you're a real human being, you do, um, if you like football, which is the only sport God approves of, if you like football like me, which is the only real sport anyways, if you like football, you know that it is not the people who sit on the bench the whole game that get criticized. It's the players. It's those who are involved in the game. If you get in the game, if you start pursuing God's calling for your life, the critics will be there. The armchair quarterbacks will be there to criticize. Doers get criticized, not bench warmers. If no one is criticizing the work that you're doing, that might be a red flag that the type of work that you're doing is not important enough to be criticized by the enemy. Just look at how Jesus' life is lived and how many enemies he had. There are those of us who are trying to raise our kids in the faith, and there are many people around us, maybe in your life, who say, no, 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 you should just let them decide what's true for themselves. Don't, don't, try, to, don't try to teach them in faith. Just, you just let them decide what's true for themselves. And it can be slanderous, you're overbearing, you're, you're, you're trying to trick your kids. What's fascinating to me is nobody applies that logic to like everything else. Like, you know what? You're being overbearing. Just let your children decide for themselves if the oven is hot. Just let them decide for themselves what metal does when placed in an electrical socket. <laughs> they're five, they're smart, free will beings. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? I mean, so... There are many of us who are trying to raise our children to faith, and there's going to be accusations of slander. And, by the way, there's going to be distractions. Just at, I'm just going to talk to dads of young kids for a minute, and, and you, you, you know this. The, the time, the witching hour, when you're trying to pray for your kids and pray with your kids and read them, Bible, read them from the Bible, and you're trying to just get them to behave, and you're just, that 30-minute window before bedtime, Hades. In, in here, right? It's like, it's it's like grace-based parenting to prison rules within like five minutes, right? Because there's just, there's a thousand distractions, right? If you're someone who's trying to, maybe you're trying to get more connected with the church and join a missional community, there's gonna be voices that say it's a, just, it's, it's a waste of time. And by the way, there's gonna be a thousand distractions. If you're gonna say, if you set out to say, Christ calls believers to be in tight community with one another, every time, I can pretty much guarantee it, every time that you're on your way to dinner or you're on your way to a group or you're on your way to meet with other believers so you can have some of that tight relationship. Pretty much every time that that happens, there will be another option that is calling out to you. The time that I never want to be with you people is every time I'm driving on my way to be with you. It's 100% constant that I'd rather take a nap. I'd rather watch football. Again, God's sport. I'd rather play video games. I'd rather listen to Metallica. I'd rather do all these things except for be with you. Now, it's always at the end when I'm leaving our time together most of the time, then I'm glad we did it. I mean, it's like gym membership, right? You're glad after. 
There are some of us who want to be financially, uh, we want to be debt-free or at least wise with our finances. And, I, and just, there's going to be so many distractions. People, people in your life are going to say things like, you know what? It doesn't matter. Who cares if you die overwhelmed with debt? Just buy the toys and enjoy life now because it's not going to matter. We're all doing it. Come with us. Come on the vacation with us. Buy the toy with us. Be, I mean, for me, every time that I, I mean, I'm driving around in my car and when that 1991 souped up, lifted, blacked out Bronco drives past me, I look at it and it says to me out loud, hey boy, what you doing? And I'm like, I'm not living. That's, I'm not alive right now. I'm dead without you. Please come into my life. There's going to be distractions. There's going to be slander. There's going to be people who say we're all doing it. If you want to live out a biblical sexual ethic, hello, in this culture, you want to live a biblical sexual ethic? You, you, just, you just post that on Facebook and see what happens. I would like to live out a biblical sexual ethic. You'll be slandered. You'll be scoffed at. There'll be, tons of, there'll be so many eyes rolling that the optometrist bills for the month will skyrocket in your area. Right? You want to volunteer with a nonprofit or in a church? You're going to hear voices say, do it after you retire when you don't have all that extra free time. There's some of us who want to start uh, ministries on our campuses where we're at school, and there's going to be a thousand voices saying people are going to think that you're stupid, they're not going to like it, they're not going to listen to you. Just, you just go after whatever God's calling you to do, and I guarantee the slander's coming and the distractions are coming. But Jesus is risen from the grave, conquering over Satan's sin and death. He's the one who called us to the mission, and he's the one who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's the one that says, I will be with you always, even till the end of the age. He's the one, the risen Savior is the one who called you to the mission and who gives you and I the power to actually do it. And so we can look at Nehemiah's example and say, I think I could do that as long as it's Christ in me doing it, as long as I'm submitting myself to the Lord. Finally, intimidation, fear of man. Anytime that you begin to sacrifice for God's call in your life, there can immediately be fear. What's the future going to hold? We forget that the date is set. We're like, we do paleo and go to the gym, therefore I'm going to live a lot. I mean, we forget that the date is set. And we think, well, if I give too much money to the thing, you know, I mean, what's going to happen? Or if I, if I speak out for the voiceless in this regard, what's going to happen? Or if I, if I take a risk, or if I leverage myself for this, or if I just go public with, with this view I have or this understanding I have of God's mission in my life, or there are some of us whose God is calling us to be cross-cultural missionaries, and we're fearful that we might get killed if we answer God's call in our life. We're worried about how it's going to impact our family. I mean, we're just, we're just afraid of what might happen. And like Nehemiah, we need to be, be, be a people who say, who am I to run? I'm not running. Not because of me, but because of who the Lord is. He called me to the mission, and he gives me the power to do it. Moreover, in all of this, Nehemiah does this fascinating thing. At the end uh, of this section, he basically says, Lord, this is kind of his prayer, Lord, remember them, meaning his enemies. Lord, I want you Lord, I want you to remember my enemies. Now, why is that important? One of the things Nehemiah doesn't do is he doesn't go out to slay his enemies. He doesn't begin to fight against his enemies. He doesn't go after the ones who are slandering him. He doesn't go out for the one, after the ones who are trying to distract him. He simply turns them over to the Lord and says, Lord, you remember them. I think this is a great example of what we see in Romans 12, 19. It says this, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. 
every slander, every threat, any, in every injustice that you and I face, the Lord will get his vengeance. And this is horrifying if we're apart from Christ. The Lord will get his vengeance. He will be the one who does the repaying. He is the one who will get the justice. Too often, uh, in the name of the Lord, there are people who have used the Lord's name to uh, try to seek their own vengeance, and what that begets is more injustice. And rather, Jesus tells us, I am going to repay. And therefore, you can endure the slander, you can endure the distraction, you can even endure the threats. I will make all that which is wrong right again. Friends, we needn't run. Christ did not run. Nehemiah did a great work. He built the walls of the city and he rebuilt Jerusalem. And many years later, Jesus walked outside of those walls and was crucified for you and for me. He gave his life, answering God's call. Jesus didn't run. And he died and was buried and he rose from the grave, conquering over Satan, sin, and death. Just as Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king, so too Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for you and for me. We have, okay, so check this out. If you call Dead Springs your church home, or if you're a follower of Jesus, just check this out. You have a savior who is risen. So, so like Easter isn't tradition. It's not, it's not something we do because of tradition. We, if, if we fundamentally understand that Christ is risen from the grave, then we can face slander, we can face the distraction, and we can face the fear because the power of Christ works within us. By the way, if Christ didn't rise from the grave, this is all stupid and we should all just go home. If you have, uh, this is our 40th birthday, I'm gonna end with this. If you have um, been blessed by Desert Springs in any way, whether it be through uh, the fact that we're in a building. How many of you guys are glad we're not in a tent right now? I'm glad we're not in a tent right now. Thank you very much. I especially will be in July. If you're glad that we have property, that we have building, if, you're, if you've been blessed by student ministries or kids' ministries or the preschool or Mending the Soul or Celebrate Recovery or Mothers of Preschoolers or Moms Next or the Bible studies or classes or the mentoring or the marriage ministry or the financial ministry, if you've been blessed by any of that, you have been blessed because the Lord working through this church, he called up certain individuals to answer his call in their life and they did not listen to the distraction and they didn't worry about the slander and they entrusted their lives completely to the Lord, not fearing what others might do to them. That's, for the last 40 years, that's been happening. And so if you call Desert Springs your church home, I'm gonna end like this. In 40 years, what are they gonna say? In 40 years, what are they gonna say? Are they gonna say, you know what? They listened to the slanderers. They worried about being slandered, and so they watered down the gospel to the point that it was completely inoffensive. And they didn't take risks because they worried about what might happen in their future. And so they just became a, a, a castle in and to itself. Or they answered every distraction that could come their way instead of focusing on the primary mission that God had for them and the proclamation of the gospel and the living out of the gospel in this community or around the world. They focused on the distractions instead of the Lord. What will they say 40 years from now? Each one of us have been called to a specific mission that God has laid out for us, good works for us to do. 
And so I ask you, what will they say of us and what will they say of you? In order to do this great work, we must cling to Jesus. And would you join me as we pray and I'm gonna pray towards that end. Lord, we love you and we give you thanks for the many ways you provide for us. We know that you have called us to this great mission and this great work. And as a church family, Lord, we entrust ourselves to you knowing that ultimately we cannot face the distraction, the slander, and the intimidation apart from your strength and power. We live in such a difficult time with so much brokenness. And so doing your work is difficult. There is much expense and cost to it. But Lord, we pray now that you would focus our minds and our hearts completely on you, that we would be a faithful people answering your call in every aspect of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.